The New Yorker has suspended Tubin. The New Yorker didn't jerk around here. They yanked him with one stroke. As pundit, <laughs> he, he's been a jack of all trades. Uh, but when faced, <laughs> but when faced with this rub, the New Yorker has no choice but to toss him. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast, episode thirty-three. This is your host Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host Mike Luciano. Um, Mike, my friend, how are you this week? Ben, I'm doing well, and I'm feeling a little mean and juvenile. Can I be mean and juvenile here at the beginning of the podcast before we move on? You have permission. This is generally a mean and juvenile podcast, so um, uh, I think it would be fitting with our brand. <laughs> okay. I'm only going to say this because... A, Trump likes to talk about how he's so healthy and has such great stamina, is in, is in such great shape. And B, I say this because Trump has a history of denigrating people's appearances. So I'm, I'm just going to channel Trump here, and I'm going to denigrate his appearance. There, there was a moment during the debate, and this image just it whipped around Twitter, where the camera showed Trump from the side— and he looked like a 300-pound bag of cheese whiz. I mean, Donald Trump looked like a William Howard Taft if you just rolled around in Cheeto dust for 45 minutes. People Can I just say he was mildly overweight? Oh, my. Yeah, mildly. Okay, so people on Twitter were, were saying that, like, Trump was leaning on the podium, like, as a crutch so he could support his way. I have a different view. I think Trump is so massive that he has his own gravitational pull. And the podium just could not escape that gravitation pull. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Okay, yeah. We, also, also, wait, 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 one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. And his suit, the suit in this image is holding on for dear life. Trump wears these huge suits because he's so big. And even still, this huge suit on him looked so taut, you know? He looked like Chris Farley wearing David Spade's coat and Tommy Boy, you know? That guy in a little coat. That guy in a little coat. Don't. <laughs> that guy in a little coat. I'll just say his doctor said he was mildly obese, my. So, so we you know, obviously this is a medical professional, and Trump has said it himself. You know, that Trump, Trump is, uh, he, he's in great shape. You know, he feels better than he did, particularly after COVID. You got you can't underestimate how much of a, of a health benefit COVID was for the president as well. You know, he feels better than he did after in 20 years. I don't know what you, I don't know what you're seeing. Oh man. All right. Now, now that I've gotten, uh, now that I've gotten mean girls out of my system, uh, I guess we should probably talk about the actual substance of the debate. You know, it was surprisingly, well, at least from my perspective, it was surprisingly more normal debate because Trump was clearly on his absolute best behavior. I mean, he was still a complete arsehole, but he was, for Trump, that was incredibly restrained compared to the first debate. I mean, it could not have been more different, uh, you know, and they actually did talk about amazingly they did talk about policies it was a fine debate was okay it was fine you know i thought both of them i thought biden was particularly sharp uh, and i thought trump did a a decent job given he's trump but it wasn't enough and it didn't make any difference you know it's not going to make any difference whatsoever to the race you know and it went on too long that was that that was my reading i don't know what, what did you see Biden was very good at points. There were a couple of times where he was searching for the right word, which can go back to his childhood stutter. It also could be an indication that he he wants to say the right word, you know, instead of just plowing ahead with a, a stream of consciousness in in Trump fashion. But I thought Joe Biden's close was very good. I thought he he spoke directly to the American people and made it clear that he is going to be a contrast from Trump. Trump sees himself as president, basically, of the red states, and Biden said he'll be a president of the United States. I think that was an important point. I agree with you that the debate probably is not going to move the needle much in either direction. The vast majority of people's minds are made up on this. It, it was definitely a much more subdued debate. Two Two key takeaways for me. And they're both related. One is, relative to the first debate, like you said, Trump was very subdued. 
which granted is not saying much because he was an unhinged maniac in the first debate and he would not shut the hell up. I mean, he interrupted Biden at every turn. This time Trump was better behaved. You know, he's still a nut job, but better behaved nut job. Again, that's a low bar. And the second takeaway, which which is related to that, is it's amazing what Joe Biden can accomplish in a debate when his opponent isn't constantly talking over him whenever he tries to respond to a question. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was it was a boring debate by and large, which is what you want if you're Joe Biden, because you're ahead in the swing states that you need to win. So you wanted a boring debate. You wanted, you know, it's like the vice presidential debate. Like Bob said, when we had him on a couple of weeks ago, you know, Kamala Harris's job was to first do no harm. And I think that's what Joe Biden did. He did no harm to his chances. And, uh, you know, and having a boring debate uh, helps his cause. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, I to, to be honest with you, I, I was perhaps I've sort of bought into this, you know, part of my subconscious. I've subconsciously bought into this whole idea that Biden is, you know, he's not quite all there. And I think there has been, you know, there have been some occasions where you're thinking, oh shit, like come on, come on, Joe, like get it, get it together. But the idea that the guy's got dementia or he's out of it and he doesn't know where he is or all this kind of stuff, it's just nonsense. You know, you couldn't get through um, an hour and a half of uh, of intense political debate on primetime television in front of, you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world. If you had dementia, it would just not be possible. You know, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised at how... It's interesting that Trump supporters during the first debate uh, or, or swing voters and independent voters were, were surprised at how clear Biden was in the first debate. For me, during the first debate, I thought Biden was not clear, you know, and I thought that maybe that it may have had something to do with Trump attacking him all the time. I wasn't entirely sure. But the, the Trump's independent voters and swing voters appeared to think that Biden was a lot better than they had thought he would be. Right. And, and I think that just shows you the sort of information bubble that a lot of these voters live in, um, where they genuinely are convinced that Biden is like has got Alzheimer's or something. And is um, you know, he's one step removed from uh, from being in an old people's home. Yeah, I, I thought that was in, and I, you know, he opened very strongly. Biden went straight on the attack about the coronavirus, about the number of deaths and about how how massively incompetent like what a complete catastrophe uh trump has been closed well and i thought he counterpunched like everything that trump brought up biden had an answer for it like literally everything and he had a good answer for it and in some t- in some ways he you know he trump thought he had this like gotcha moment about you know i want you to explain your family you know your family t- like corruption stuff or some nonsense about china or parissimo whatever he and rudy giuliani have cooked up whatever latest conspiracy theory they're floating around the right-wing media system uh, biden just was like it's not about my family it's about your family you know and looking into the camera and saying you know to, to the public saying this is about your family but, but not even paying it any attention and i think that that's that's the way that it, it was, you know, it was good. I just thought Biden had a really strong performance. I thought he did really, really well. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. And like you said, it was, but the whole debate was, it was just fine. It was that he did a, he did a, I thought Biden did a very good job. I thought that Trump was way better than he was last time because he didn't seem like a raving lunatic, but it, it just wasn't enough, you know, like, like Trump, it just, he keeps pressing this, this Hunter Biden conspiracy theory. And apparently this was the strategy going in to like put Joe Biden on the spot about Hunter Biden and and this this so-called, you know, this so-called connections to China or, you know, whatever they've been getting rich off of um, something to do with the Russian mayor. I, I mean, I can't even I can't keep track of it. And it's such a stupid conspiracy theory that has no grounding in reality. This is the risk. Trump ran when he set the bar so low for Biden. He had, he was basically convincing his supporters that Biden should be in an old folks home. And when Joe Biden actually shows up to, to the debates, people see that and they're like, huh, well, he seems fine to me. So I, I think that's the, the risk you run. There were a couple of places where, where Joe Biden 
just kind of Trump could have hit Biden on on this. He Trump was asking Biden, you know, why he didn't get was it immigration, some immigration reform done? I don't know if it was, they were talking about DACA at the time, but Trump just put it to Biden point blank. Why didn't you do anything about it at the time? And Biden said, because we had a Republican Congress. Well, that wasn't true for the first two years of the Obama administration when you had a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. So that was something that Trump could have pushed back on if he knew enough to do it, but he didn't. Instead, Trump said something like, well, you got to talk to people or you, you got to get stuff done. You got to convince people. But that's one where Trump could have just said, hey, you had full Democrats. Democratic control of the government in the first two years of your administration. You don't even remember this? Like, that would be the Trump refrain that he's probably wishing he had said. But but overall, Joe Biden was good. He was he was even strong at some moments. I thought his close was the best part of his debate. But Trump's emphasis on, on Hunter Biden and, and Trump is he's just trying to beat this dead Hunter Biden horse in the debates and on Twitter. And it's just not working for him. This is clearly Trump's idea that you have to keep hammering away on Hunter Biden and corruption. And I think this because it, it sort of worked you know, with Hillary Clinton, he he managed to convince enough people that Hillary Clinton was corrupt. The media went along with it. The media then did this whole, you know, both sides, and they kept looking into like the Clinton Foundation, you know, all this stuff with the Clinton Foundation and Clinton's emails. Even though Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation have a complete, like, clean clean bill of health, right? You know, the Clinton Foundation was one of the most reputable charities or um, reputable non-profits in the country. They, they've done enormously good work. When no, no matter what you think about the Clintons, their, their non-profit work has, has been completely above board. But yet, Trump threw enough shit at them that a lot of Americans started to believe it. And I think that Trump, in his mind, thinks it's 2016 again. So he thinks, I can just do the same to Biden. I can make everybody believe that Joe Biden is this corrupt politician. And it's just not working, you know? I mean, look, and I think it kind of worked against Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton, for for all of her, uh, all of the sort of positives about her, she is not a great, she doesn't have very good charisma. She's not a great politician per se. I think she's probably very effective behind the scenes, but she's just not, she doesn't have that kind of kind of warmth, that human empathy that, um, that people like Joe Biden have that comes to them very easily. So, and I think Clinton struggled with coming across to the American public as this sort of likable character. Um, because a she's not you know she just struggles with it generally speaking you know i've heard she's very nice in person i've no idea but but also because of the the decades of republican smears so trump was able to capitalize on that but i just think people aren't buying it about joe biden i think everybody sort of knows he's a good guy you know yeah he's got he's not perfect but he's he's a nice guy he's a good guy and his campaign i don't know what is going on with their campaign but it's filled full of, it's clearly filled full of complete sycophants who will just do whatever he says, even though they know what he's doing isn't working. You know, I wrote a piece about this uh, on the banter this week about um, Trump's plan for the final debate, which was to kind of focus heavily on Hunter Biden. But there was a great quote from um, uh, Frank Luntz, who was the, the GOP pollster, who, whatever you might think about Frank Luntz, is a very smart guy. He said, um, I've never seen a campaign more miscalibrated than Trump's campaign. Frankly, his staff ought to be brought up on charges of political malpractice. It's the worst campaign I've ever seen, and I've been watching them since 1980. They're on the wrong issues. They're on the wrong messages. They've got their heads up their asses. Your damn job is to get your candidates to talk about the things that are relevant to the people you need to reach. And if you can't do your damn job, then get out. And this is their complete uh you know their incessant focus on hunter biden so they're not listening to anybody so the trump had one chance to turn this thing around by like not bringing up all the things that nobody gives a shit about and he can't do it he can't stop himself and he's screwed himself in every single way you know like you were mentioning about um biden being uh, having dementia they've 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 gone they've used this line for months now and then obviously when biden shows up and he's fine then it doesn't you know it, it hasn't worked so he's he's screwed himself in so many ways it's sort of hard to conceive of how how dumb he is you know of how how 
appalling his campaign is. You know, for Frank Luntz to call it the worst campaign he's ever seen, that's something. It is something. And Trump and right-wing media, as we know, are in an echo chamber or a feedback loop or however you want to look at it. And I don't think there's been a better illustration of this than Team Trump's and right-wing media's fixation on Hunter Biden. The background on Hunter Biden is he used to have a drug problem and he got paid tens of thousands of dollars a month by a Ukrainian oil company called Burisma to sit on its board of directors. And and the right wing and the Trump people are alleging that the company was able to influence then Vice President Joe Biden through Hunter to fire a prosecutor in Ukraine who was looking into corruption. But that wasn't the case. The prosecutor was fired after international pressure from the United States, the European Union, and others for not investigating corruption in the country. And look, I think it's totally gross that Hunter Biden and so many other politicians and relatives of politicians get these do-nothing jobs on boards and with think tanks and lobbying firms. I think it's gross. I think it creates a horrible, meritless incentive structure that plays to people's worst tendencies. But what Hunter Biden did was garden variety name trading, where he got paid a lot of money legally to sit on a board where he ultimately didn't deliver the kinds of results that Burisma was hoping for, as far as we can tell. And by the way, Trump and the Trump family accusing Hunter Biden of trading off his dad's name is really fucking rich. But the other angle they're attacking Hunter Biden on is his supposed efforts to make money in China with a business venture that it turns out never materialized with a guy named Tony Bobulinski, who was actually Trump's special guest at the debate. Like, oh, wow, big Amazing, own right there. Yeah. Big own right there by Trump bringing Tony Bag of Donuts to the debate as his special guest, as if voters actually give a shit about this. There's, there's by, no data showing you they care, they care about this at all. Right. And by the way, Trump's accusing Biden of having these dealings in China. And as Biden pointed out in Thursday's debate, it was just revealed that Trump has a secret Chinese bank account and paid almost $200,000 in taxes to the government in China, which is more than what he pays here in the United States. Also, the Trump has longstanding business ties in China. So many of those shitty products that Trump has produced over the years, shirts and ties and whatever, those have been made in China. We learned over the summer that Trump properties had imported like eight tons of goods from China over the previous 10 months. According to Business Insider, I believe, Ivanka Trump has all these trademarks in China. All of this is well known. And for Trump to accuse Biden of trying to profit off China is just so ludicrously hypocritical in this context, especially when there is no actual proof to what he's actually saying. So this is just another example of of the projector in chief living up to the old quote, the the fake Goebbels quote that people surface periodically because there's no evidence that the Nazi propaganda minister actually said this. But it goes something like, accuse others of that which you are guilty. And Trump does this time and time again. And the Hunter Biden China getting rich off China is just yet another example. One more thing about this, I like, of course, the the Hunter Biden China thing, like the, the Hunter Biden narrative is being driven in part by just a ridiculous piece the New York Post published since uh, our last show. And that Fox News wouldn't touch. That Fox, Fox News was first approached with this story by, I guess, Rudy Giuliani and Steve Bannon was involved, I think. And even Fox News went, nah, this is too sketchy for us. But instead, it gets published by the New York Post. And one of the bylines on this thing belongs to a former booking producer for Hannity. All right. So right there. So basically, it alleges – and this story is so stupid. It's just so wildly convoluted. Basically, it alleges that somebody – not clear if it was Hunter Biden or someone else – dropped off a laptop at a computer repair store in Delaware – 
And for some reason, they never came back to get it. And supposedly, the owner of the shop looked at the contents of the hard drive and alerted the FBI for some reason. He made a copy of the and then notified Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and gave him a copy of the hard drive, as one does. As, as one does when, 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 one, when one has a laptop of somebody who has not come back to claim it, of course, you, you call the first. The second thing you do after calling the FBI is you call Rudy Giuliani, uh, Trump's personal attorney. And so Giuliani was a source for the post, quote unquote, story because, you know, Giuliani's so reliable. I mean, this is just it's so ridiculous. There's no there here. And there's just like some emails on the on the computer, like if they're real, okay, they indicate that Hunter Biden maybe wanted to make money somewhere in China or what. There's no smoking gun. There are like supposedly unflattering pictures. Maybe he's Hunter Biden is smoking crack in one of the like I, I like I don't know. This is just this is just national inquire as stuff. I know the New York Post is bad, but this is like a low even even for them. But just to get back to your the point we were making, you know, it's it's clear Trump mistakenly believes that people care about Hunter Biden when clearly the polls show they don't. As you pointed out, the numbers have more or less stayed the same. Biden is ahead in the swing states that he need he needs. But Trump keeps hoping this is the 2020 version of Hillary's emails. But the problem is this isn't Joe Biden's laptop. This is Hunter Biden's laptop and Hunter Biden's emails and photos. Hunter Biden's not running for president. Joe is. And I think that that changes the equation for a lot of people. You know, Hillary's emails and Hillary's server, those were Hillary's emails. That was Hillary's server. These are not Joe Biden's. These things, these alleged smoking guns they're pointing to, these are Hunter Biden's. And so I do think this changes the equation for people. I think people are far more likely to judge someone based on what that person does themselves than what their kids do. I mean, there are millions of Americans out there who can honestly say, I too have a son or daughter who's exercised bad judgment, but I don't think that makes me a bad person. So I think it is it is campaign malpractice, especially well, we haven't even mentioned the pandemic yet on this podcast, this particular episode, haven't even mentioned that there's a pandemic out there. 225,000 people are dead. We're seeing 38 states go in the wrong direction in terms of the number of COVID cases they're getting. We have extremely high unemployment. We have a complete lack of a second stimulus package. We have people who can't pay their rent, people who are have been furloughed or laid off, people who are just having to make hard economic decisions. And the Trump campaign is talking about Hunter Biden's fucking laptop. It was so clear from the debate last night, the difference. I mean, Biden took, he, you know, he took pains to to kind of speak to the American public on a number of occasions, talk about the number of dead people um, and about how people were suffering. And it's difficult. It's extremely difficult because that's what a leader is supposed to do. That's what your president or your prime minister or whoever it is, is supposed to do. They're supposed to lead during times of crisis. You're supposed to, you know, during a pandemic, during a crisis like this, right, good leadership becomes more and more important, right? It's good to know that your government, A, understands what people are going through and B, you know, they're doing something grounded in actual sort of rational thinking and science, right? And and we just haven't had that. I think that's why the pandemic has been so difficult for so many people because you just realise that the federal government is completely clueless. They don't know what they're doing and they don't care. It's an extremely difficult thing to sort of come to terms with, actually. It's psychologically, it's quite, it's, it's a kind of a strange thing to to know that your government couldn't give a shit about you. They just don't care. They're not interested in it. They're interested in where and in how the stock market is doing. The Trump is interested in airing all his personal grievances on Twitter twenty four seven, continuing to kind of all these beefs and vendettas he has with media figures, and he's not paying attention to an issue that's. I mean, he's decimating people's lives. I mean, two hundred and twenty five thousand people dead. That is an insane number of people. That that's a that's an astonishing number of deaths. But this guy has just pretended it hasn't happened. Has he gone to visit? A, 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 um, has he gone to a, a funeral? Has he gone to a hospital other than when he got infected himself uh, and infected everybody else around him? You know, has he shown any ounce of sympathy for anybody 
uh, over their illness whatsoever. He's done absolutely nothing. And I thought it was really clear during the debate that, you know, Biden was doing what a president should do, behaving as a president should behave. He was telling the American public, he was saying, listen, I understand we're in a very bad situation. I'm going to tell you the truth uh, and I've got a plan and I've got smart people and we're going to get out of this mess. and I'm not going to bullshit you. Right. And whereas Trump, he just lied. He just continued to lie about all the numbers, the COVID numbers and about how America is actually doing great with turning around, turning the corner. It's going to be a vaccine any minute. You know, and it's just bullshit, 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 bullshit. And this was a sort of uh, I, I don't I think the contrast could not have been clearer last night. And I think that was an important part of, of, of the debate that Biden really, really sort of made himself seem like a president. And it kind of made you remember like, oh yeah, that's what a competent government does. I don't want I don't want to like the government. I don't want to like the president. I don't care. I don't want to fucking hear from them. Right. I just want them to do a good job. That's it. Just do a good job and make me feel like, you know, the government can do stuff. And, and I, you know, it's just amazing that for four years we've had a government that can't do anything, you know, and, and, and I think that come November 3rd, 4th, hopefully, we'll know who's won and that and the relief, it's going to be an enormous relief, you know, a huge weight off of people's shoulders, you know, as long as you get out there and vote, of course. You made a great point there. You reminded me that Trump said during the debate that we are weeks away from a vaccine, which there's no indication of any of that. And he just rattled off when he was pressed on it. He rattled off the names of some pharmaceutical companies. We're not weeks away from a vaccine. He's such a liar. And then he said that they're going to be distributed by the military. And he's been saying this for a while now. We're going to have a vaccine by Election Day. And before that, he was saying it was going to be over by Easter, as as Kristen, I think Kristen Welker pointed this out, or maybe it was Biden. Um, I forget which one. Kristen Welker, by the way, Kristen Welker, uh, she did a better job than Chris Wallace uh, just by default, by default of of uh, Donald Trump not being a raving lunatic. Kristen Welker, she just comes off better, whether she although I don't think Kristen Welker would have handled the the unhinged Trump in the first debate any any better, because, I mean, what do you just do with a guy like that? But and Trump also said about the pandemic, he, he said and he keeps saying this, he said, and I I'm going to surprise you, Ben, here. I'm going to agree with Donald Trump. I'm going to agree with Donald Trump right now. He keeps saying we're rounding the turn. We're rounding the turn on the pandemic. We're rounding the turn on coronavirus. And he is totally right because we have been rounding the turn, rounding the turn, rounding the turn, and we're going in a fucking circle on this because Trump and his dummy Republican governors don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle this. They think that COVID, it's just going to go away eventually at some point because, I don't know, herd immunity or something. And yeah, like, why not open the bars in Indiana and Florida? Great fucking idea. So, yeah, Trump's right. We have been we've been rounding the turn and we've just been going in a huge circle. We've just been going in a huge circle for months now. And now in Republican land, COVID isn't something to be defeated, but something to be tolerated. Exactly. You know, I mean, look, 11 days left until this this horror show is over. This is, uh, yeah, I think American public have had enough. I think um, I can sense a huge, huge, huge sort of shift, I think, in the way people are talking about this now. I mean, if you look at the, also, if you look at the, I mean, we did a whole deep dive last week on the numbers, on the polling numbers, but I mean, it's basically now, I think it's, it's, it's catastrophic for Trump right now. Um, he doesn't have. I don't think there's any viable path to victory now for him. He's down so he's he's so comprehensively down in 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 the swing states and nationally that it's you know where where does he go? What does he do? He couldn't. He can't turn it around. His campaign is not capable of doing it. He's not capable of doing it. You know the Republicans have written him off. I know we were saying this in 2016, um, but it wasn't this bad. It wasn't. It was nowhere near this bad. You know, at least he could land a punch on Hillary Clinton. He can't seem to land a punch on Joe Biden. I mean, there's just nothing he's doing that's working whatsoever. Uh, and if you look at the, um, uh, I think uh, five five thirty eight. So I I rely on the on a lot of the five thirty eight polling, and actually I think the Economist has has a good model as well. Um, and 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 as of today, 
uh, in all the simulations that they run, um, Biden is wins 87 out of 100 and Trump wins a 12 and 100, right? That's, that is that is disastrous. If you look at the economists, um, the economist is the the economist is even more. Their projection is even grimmer, right? They think that Biden has a ninety two percent chance of winning the electoral college, and Trump has an eight percent chance of winning the electoral college. Yeah, this could be a, this is going to be a wipeout. I th- I think I'm predicting a wipeout, uh, and and you know just in time. Really, you know, thank God. Yeah, you know, I don't know the, the numbers for the coronavirus pandemic. Like the numbers that we're about to lose going into the winter is going to be big, and I don't think Trump's going to do anything about it at all, whatsoever. So there'll be another, you know, hundred thousand people dead before the end of the year. You know, so this this can't come this can't come soon enough, in in, in my opinion. Um, I don't know unless you're seeing something different in the polls. Are you seeing anything anywhere that gives this guy a chance? No. Again, the only way Trump can win this, I think, is with fuckery, with fuckery or some type of like some type of Comey level October surprise about Biden, Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden, because as we discussed that the Hunter Biden stuff's not moving the needle. But the the path uh, Joe I mean, Trump Biden, is trying. Trump is trying. He keeps trying to direct. Right. He keeps trying to direct uh, William Barr to do something about it. Uh, but Barr won't do it because Barr understands that he could go to jail if he does something. If he does something unbelievably stupid, he could be in serious trouble himself. Yeah, potentially. And and look, Bill Barr, that guy will do anything to fulfill his vision of the unitary executive. But there's a limit. Like Trump is so stupid. He he has his guy. This is the attorney general you want. And I imagine a lot of these cases, Trump hasn't even had to ask him to do some of this stuff like, oh, appoint John Durham in the District of Connecticut to investigate the investigators of Russia. Oh, have the uh, U.S. attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania come out with this outrageous press release announcing the investigation into like nine discarded ballots that turned out were just thrown away by someone mistakenly at a county election office. It was their first day and they thought the ballots had like already been counted or something. I don't know. Like instead of just letting Barr help and enable Trump, Trump comes out and says things like, I'm not happy with him. So when you scold somebody publicly like that, They could go one of two ways. They could acquiesce and do the things that you want them to do, like directly investigate your political opponents and announce that you're doing so before the election. Or that person could take stock of where they're at and say, do I really want to do this and enable this behavior and just put up with more of this? Do I have a shred of like dignity somewhere? Is there a line? Or something like that. Like I don't, I, I don't know what the answer to that is for Bill Barr, but the fact that Trump would even put him in a position to ask himself that question is just stupid. Because Barr was doing, he was doing so much heavy lifting over at DOJ, turning that into his, Trump's own law firm slash private investigation firm. So just really stupid, and you know, like we said. The attacks on Hunter Biden are not landing, and they shouldn't be because people don't give a shit about Hunter Biden when they're real. um, We have some serious problems in this country, and it's just completely – he completely misses the mark by focusing on this stuff. So the polls – I mean, just getting back to your question about the polls, (laughs) his path to victory, Trump's path to victory is so narrow. It's so narrow. There are so many ways he can lose this thing. I mean, Quinnipiac has Texas tied. Now, I'm not going to rely on Texas. I'm not going to say Biden's going to win Texas. But if Biden wins Texas, it's over. Yeah, it's, it's over. over. Yeah, it's it's done. absolutely over. Biden could lose Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona. If Biden wins Texas and yet loses all those states, Biden wins. And keeps all of the states that that Hillary won. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. He gets those three. He wins the election. And as long as he doesn't lose any of the states that Hillary won. So uh, Trump is totally fucked. And the only way that he can win is Election Day fuckery. Speaking of tone deaf douchebags. We, <laughs> there's another tone deaf douchebag. Not quite on the same oh, scale as Trump. I think I know where this is going. But we've got to talk about. Uh, old uh, Glenn Greenwald. 
we've got to talk about Glenn Greenwald. We have to. I'm sorry. But fuck this guy. I'm sorry. A friend of mine um, this week did a advanced search on Twitter, right? And this is what he found, okay? He said, this is uh, my friend Simon Owens, who runs a great website. He has a great newsletter, actually, about the media uh, called uh, simonowens.substack.com. This is what Simon Owens has said when he researched Glenn Greenwald's tweets over the past week. He said, using Twitter advanced search, I found Glenn Greenwald has tweeted 50 plus times in the last week about Hunter Biden. He also tweeted 100 plus times about Trump, and only two or three could be considered mildly negative. The vast majority were defending Trump from unfair treatment or so-called unfair treatment. Said, and then he goes on, 230,000 plus Americans are dead due to Trump's incompetence and sociopathy. Basically a genocide that's killing a thousand Americans a day. And Greenwald is tweeting nonstop about Hunter Biden. If that doesn't demonstrate how unhinged he's become, I don't know what will. Oh, and I should also note that in the very few cases where Greenwald was actually going negative from Trump, it was in reply tweets where he was defending himself from being pro-Trump. I mean, you, if you look at Glenn, Glenn's Twitter feed at the moment, it is just sort of a kind of the guy's deranged, right? This is what he tweet, he's been tweeting, right? He, one of the he says the reason mainstream outlets fixate on phenomena like QAnon isn't because they hate conspiracy theories. These outlets are the most prolific propagators of those. They want you to obsess on QAnon to distract from the far more destructive and reckless conspiracies they peddle. Right, and he's got a screenshot here of an article by Jonathan Chait uh, and and Rachel Maddow. Jonathan Chait's article is: Will Trump be meeting with his counterpart or his handler? Right, a plausible theory of mind-boggling collusion. And um, a Rachel Maddow segment where Maddow was saying Russians may be controlling our government. Right, these are according to Glenn Greenwald, these are reckless conspiracies. Right, but QAnon is apparently completely harmless. Uh, and and not a big issue, and and everybody wants y- y- all the mainstream media wants us to focus on these ludicrous conspiracies because the mainstream media is in themselves peddling dangerous conspiracies. I mean, have you heard a more ridiculous argument from a so-called journalist, a so-called respected respectable journalist in your life? This is fucking ridiculous. There was a point where Greenwald was a respectable journalist, uh, and that has long since passed. Over the last, uh, you know, few years, Greenwald has uh, just just gone down this hole, descending into I don't I, <laughs> I don't even know what you would call it. I so I saw somebody on Twitter call it douche contrarianism, <laughs> which I think I think aptly summarized what Greenwald has been up to you know his his bar for what constitutes a story that's anti-biden is very low as we're being reminded this week with the whole new york post business like oh yes uh the new york post was approached by rudy giuliani with a copy of a hard drive supposedly belonging to hunter biden's computer that this copy was made by some computer repair person in delaware that they don't mention in the story i think is his his name has been disclosed since then, but like, there's a real chain of custody problem here. <laughs> but like, Greenwald is happy to be like, oh my god, this is a story. But when it comes to anti-Trump stories, when it comes to anti-Trump stuff, then suddenly any allegations need to be scrutinized using this, you know, extremely critical lens belonging to the highest level of uh, journalistic standards. And, and Greenwald, if you want to know, if you if you want to know Glenn Greenwald's game, all you need to do is look at his tweets and pieces about Julian Assange and the United States attempt to extradite him to this country to face charges. And Glenn Greenwald's stance is basically he is extremely mad at the press for either ignoring this story or not sticking up for Julian Assange when it is Donald Trump and Bill Barr, they are the ones who are seeking his extradition so they can prosecute him in the first place. So the fact that Glenn Greenwald is angrier at the media than he is at the actual people 
Trump, Barr, who could who are responsible for the extradition in the first place, tells you everything you need to fucking know about what his deal is. He's basically doing shtick at this point, just like Matt Taibbi. And I'll 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 give Taibbi his own juxtaposition when. Donald Trump had Bill Barr violently clear Lafayette Square of peaceful protesters. Matt Taibbi, he didn't have anything to say about it. No blog posts, no tweets, as far as I could see. But then, when a few weeks ago, Facebook, a private company, banned QAnon accounts from its platform, he wrote a long column about how dangerous this was. Like basically, uh, first they came for QAnon, attack on Facebook, for banning this batshit conspiracy from their platform that says that Democrats and Hollywood elites run a secret child sex trafficking ring, and that Donald Trump, he's secretly trying to route out this pedophile ring. So if, if you really want to know what Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi are, are up to, that's all you need to know. Just look look at what they do. Look how, at how they react. Look at what they, yeah, look at what they don't cover. I mean, I mean right. another, another example of, of Taibbi's complicity in all this nonsense was during the, um, you know, when the Mueller report came out. Right, that both Tybee and Greenwald were were claiming that you know this was um, completely you know this the Mueller report completely exonerated Trump, right? It completely exonerated Trump, and that um, uh, what you were going to see was in fact like a vindication that Trump had been right all along, right? And then William Barr comes out and says it. William Barr comes out and says, you know, Trump's been found. There's no, you know, there's no collusion and uh, there's no, we're not going to do anything about it because there was no obstruction of justice, right? He's been cleared on all charges. So anybody who'd been paying attention to anything in the Trump administration for a long time uh, for or any period of time knew that this was bullshit, right? And that what Barr was saying was not what had happened at all. Right. And then the Miller report actually comes out and it turns out that he hadn't been cleared on obstruction of justice charges as well. Miller explicitly said, said that there was evidence for it, but it wasn't within the scope of his investigation to make recommendations as to whether he, he be he be impeached or, or tried on charges of um, obstruction of justice. Right. So it, it, amazingly, Greenwald and Toby took William Barr's word for it. They said, you know, there you go. Matt, the matter's over. William Barr settled it. You're like, really? This guy? You're talking about Trump's personal fucking lawyer, right? A hired henchman who who was hired because of his weird philosophy on on um, presidents having basically unlimited power while in office. And you're going to believe that over over Mueller, over your own eyes, over the FBI, over multiple intelligence agencies talking about exactly the same thing. It was extraordinary, but in, in their book, like you were saying, you know, you have to apply these extreme standards of of, uh, of journalistic integrity whenever there's whenever you're trying to prove anything bad against, uh, about Trump. Uh, but if William Barr says something, yeah, that's fine. No, go for it. It's all good. Right. Or if the New York Post uses Rudy Giuliani and uh, other dubious sources for some ridiculous uh, story about maybe Hunter Biden dropping off his laptop at a computer repair shop and just never reclaiming that because he, of course that's that that happens all the time yes like the son of a heavily scrutinized presidential candidate uh, dropping off their laptop with basically their life secrets in it yes this happens all the time and they and they never come back to reclaim it i mean the story is just so ridiculous and who knows like it might be hunter biden's laptop but this story i think was if i had to guess was concocted by giuliani or bannon as uh an explanation as to how they came in possession of this hard drive, because I, I think this hard drive came in on, you know, I think that this was obtained by nefarious means. Right. Of, of course, you know, and, and the thing is, these guys aren't very creative either. This is the sort of the, the funny thing about these idiots is that, I mean, they're dumb and not very creative. So it's very, very transparent to see, to see through these ploys. 
it's sort of insulting people's intelligence. But why Greenwald? Why did Greenwald and Toby? Why are they falling for this? I don't, I don't really. I don't. I, I don't get it. I don't what's ha- know what's happened to to these once decent journalists. I mean, I disagree with Greenwald on on almost everything, but he wasn't this openly. I don't know what the word is for it. I mean, would you say it's stupid? It's not stupid, but it's it's sort of deranged. Shtick. It's yeah. shtick. I've seen so many people say, uh, Greenwald and Taibi, they're Russian agents or assets or whatever. I, I think I think the explanation is far more boring than that. I think, you know, and they were skeptical of the whole Russia gate thing. I mean, I my position on Russia Gate was that like there's strong circumstantial evidence here that Russia has been trying to influence Trump world. I mean, just like so many of those in Trump's inner orbit had like the had these Russian connections, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, the Trump pageant in Russia. There was a business deal to there was a deal to do a Trump Tower in Moscow. There was the there was the Trump Tower meeting in New York with uh, Don Jr. and uh, whoever else was in there meeting with Russians to try to get dirt on them. There was just a lot of Russia going on. But I never I never bought into the a lot of people say, oh well Putin obviously has compromise on on Trump. I thought that was a possibility, but I thought it was reckless to state it as a fact. So to that extent, I was in line with the skepticism that Taibi and Greenwald had on stuff like that. But they learned that they had an audience for that Russia skepticism, which included like far, far left progressives and conservatives and Trumpers, right? So if you look at their mentions now on Twitter, it's those two groups. It's never Biden progressives and it's hardcore Trumpers. And they but they're still that. But, but the, what the weird thing is, is that they're still banging on about it, right? It gets huge. Yeah, Matt Taylor, he's still like breaking stories about how some part of the Russiagate thing was a conspiracy theory and there was no evidence. I mean, it's sort of bringing up really obscure aspects of the story as well. And you're thinking, you know, is it maybe something else you want to write about, Matt? Maybe another, there are, there are some other topics that are quite important going on right now. And this is what just strikes me as, as bizarre uh, about that. And I think, you know, maybe you're right that they've just found this audience uh, they found this audience and, and you know, they're milking it for, for all it's worth because, you know, like, you know, like you were saying, I, it clearly with the, with all the, the Russiagate debacle, it wasn't, I think some people on some Democrats went overboard, completely overboard, you know, as like, as far as, you know, compromise on Trump, I, like you, I thought, you know, it, it sounds plausible. It's, it does sound plausible, but to have, to make that accusation, you know, you do have to have substantial evidence, right? There's only circumstantial evidence around that. I don't think there was anything actually concrete to suggest that the, the Russians have compromise on Trump. Do I think that they probably do? Yes, I think that they probably do. I don't have any evidence to suggest that, right? I just think that circumstantially speaking, this is it's a fairly classic story, right? I mean, I think Jonathan Chait actually spelled this out in a really um, interesting article you know, that Trump was was over in the Soviet Union in the 1980s and all of a sudden came back uh, with all these pro-Soviet views and was writing, taking out advertisements in the New York Times about uh, defunding NATO. And, and he's clearly got some sort of shady connections with Russian banks, uh, with the Russian government. Is it illegal? Who knows? It's hard to say. But it's fairly typical. It would be a. Fa- it's a fairly typical story of how uh, Russians would use high-profile people in America to further their interests, and and oftentimes they would have compromise on these people. Right? They would have some sort of compromising information that they could use, they could wield over them to ensure that their interests were protected you know does that mean it's 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 definitely true uh, no but it seems fairly likely but people who thought that Taibi and Greenwald have been saying that these people are deranged and kind of lunatics and you know there was no uh, collusion there was no conspiracy there was no obstruction of justice you know I mean this is the FBI was flagging all this stuff the FBI it was the FBI that first that were absolutely Ter- horrified by what was happening with the Trump campaign. 
this wasn't like, like Obama didn't launch an investigation into the Trump campaign, right? The the FBI came to Obama and said, like, we've there is we've got evidence that there is some there's something going on with the Trump key figures in the Trump campaign and high ranking officials in the Russian government. That's the the that's the intelligence agencies doing this stuff, right? So they were clearly concerned about this. But according to Greenwald and Toby, you can't trust anything they say because of 9-11, right? Or because of the Iraq war. Everybody in the intelligence agencies are all not to be believed about anything because they, you know, they cooked up uh, intelligence about about the Iraq war. Well, that wasn't actually necessarily the case, right? I mean, it was a bit more complicated than that. There was massive political pressure to do so back in uh, back in two thousand two, two thousand three. But anyway, that's a whole, you know, there's a whole different topic. But to discount all of that stuff and to insist that we have to believe Trump and William Barr. It's just mad, you know, and it's, it's sad to watch these two journalists. I mean, um, Greenwood, I don't particularly care about anyway, but Toby, you know, I've been a fan of Toby for a long time, um, but not anymore. I think the guy has, has turned himself into a joke. He absolutely has. You know, I was looking forward to him continuing what he did best in the Trump era, like, well, continuing in the Trump era, what he had done best before Trump, and that is like, good investigative reporting and, and first person kind of like Hunter S. Thompson-esque gonzo journalism and just absolutely skewering the party that's actually in power. And we've gotten none of that. Absolutely none of that. It's all about the media sucks, the Democrats suck, the occasional pot shot at Republicans and Trump, but the bulk of the guy's content output for the last few years has been directed at the party out of power, directed away from the guy who leads the government, who is the most malignant force that we have ever had at the top of our government. And it's just really sad and disappointing and and pathetic. And I don't think he can come back from this. I really don't. And speaking of speaking of uh, uh, not being able to come back from this, we have gone this entire. We meant to hit upon this, I think, but we have gone the whole podcast episode without mentioning Jeffrey Tubin. He's a writer for The New Yorker, and I believe he's also a pundit for CNN. Jeffrey Tubin, at one point during a Zoom call with his company, uh, The New Yorker, they were doing an election night simulation. That's simulation, not stimulation. They were doing an election night simulation, and he was supposed to play. (laughs) (laughs) And Tubin was supposed to play the role of the courts. And apparently, I guess they they went on a break or something. And Tubin, it was first reported that he had exposed himself on the Zoom call. And then he issued a statement. It was a stupid mistake. I apologize and stuff like that. But then uh, I think it was Vice that originally hey, – let, let me pull it up. I think Vice originally reported this. Then Vice updated their story from – Tubin exposes himself on Zoom call to New Yorker suspends Jeffrey Tubin for masturbating on Zoom call. And then at the end, it has a little note here. The headline has been updated to reflect the fact that Tubin was masturbating. What an update. Yeah, so speaking of coming back from that, uh, you know, coming back from things, it's hard to see how uh, uh, Jeffrey Tubin comes back from that. He's come back before, though. He came back from an affair. Um, he got his mistress pregnant. Uh, he said uh, he'd pay for the abortion. She assisted on having the baby. This was like 10 years ago. And he said, you're going to regret this. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you anything. And it, it took a court battle and a DNA test to establish Tubin's uh, fatherhood. And uh, and so now he or he then he had to pay child support. But anyway, that was Jeffrey Tubin's deal. But Jeffrey Tubin was very quickly pushed out of the news thanks to one Rudolph Giuliani, who really deserves a fruit basket from Jeffrey Tubin because Rudy Giuliani, and I'm just going to put a disclaimer on this. I have not watched the the full, I guess, five-minute clip from the new uh, Borat movie, Sasha Baron Cohen, comedian who plays Borat. I have not watched the five-minute cl- five clip. I've watched the 30-second clip of Giuliani 
in a hotel room interacting with an actress who is in her 20s. But in the scene, she's playing a 15-year-old reporter. And they just have this awkward like interaction and she's kind of like touching his knee. And then at one point, Giuliani lies back on the bed and reaches into his trousers. And really that's as much as I could watch. That's a, I have no interest, Ben. I know before we got on this podcast, you said you were going to, you were going to bite the bullet and actually watch the, the whole scene. So you can tell me uh, what that's about, but I'm not going to watch it myself. Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't seen the movie uh, yet. That's my plan to do so tonight, but I've seen the clip. Um, you know, it looks... Uh, I don't know what to make of it, you know? Uh, it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great for Giuliani. Giuliani says he was trying to get the mic... He was trying to fix his shirt, but I don't understand why you would lie down on a bed and need to shove your hands down your pants that far down your pants to fix your shirt you know it makes him look like a sad creepy old man it's pretty bad i don't know whether it's career ending given given this you've got to think about in the spectrum of the media right on the spectrum of kind of politics media journalism where these people exist i mean giuliani exists in the sort of the dregs of of kind of politics and media right he's like the sort of bottom feeder the kind of um creepy weird dude that trump get um, hauls out uh, of some you know cigar lounge to come and uh, uh, do some sort of unbelievably humiliating task to help Trump get him, get himself elected or smear someone you know and Giuliani just has no shame so he'll do anything so I think when you've got someone shame, utterly shameless like Giuliani I don't know whether that is this is going to be an end for him I mean it's, it doesn't look good it's humiliating which is always funny whenever Rudy Giuliani is involved that's always pretty funny if something's humiliating but you know I think the Jeffrey you know I felt kind of sorry for Jeffrey Tubin a little bit I did I do feel kind of bad for the guy like you know I didn't know I hadn't read about much about his you know his love child but after reading that it does appear that he's at least from the stories i don't know you know obviously i don't know but he he doesn't seem like a particularly nice guy i think uh you know i i felt less sorry for him i suppose i still feel kind of bad for the guy having made a mistake like that i don't think you know he clearly wasn't doing it on purpose but a pro tip like if you've got a Zoom meeting going on, it's not a great idea to be jerking off, right, with your co- with your colleagues on as is it paused or not paused or muted or whatever. Just don't do it. This is another uh, reason for I think media training skills for people over the age of fifty. You really got to get to grips with this with this technology, right, and and uh, uh, not get caught literally with your pants down on a Zoom call. <laughs> the incredible thing is presumably Tubin has been using zoom for a while now. Right. So right. you would think if this was going to happen, it would happen much earlier in this pandemic. Right. And so by now he should have, he should have mastered the art of the zoom call. But I, look, I don't know. I look, my, you know, like my parents are in their sixties and, and, uh, trying to get them on FaceTime is, is a complete nightmare. My dad still hasn't figured out how to um, uh, rotate the screen to have a widescreen view on on FaceTime, you know, uh, and this has been going on for probably four or five years now. Look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, my closing thought on this is, uh, you know, so the New Yorker has suspended Tubin. The New Yorker didn't jerk around here. They yanked him with one stroke. As pundit, <laughs> he, he's been a jack of all trades. Uh, but when faced, <laughs> but when faced with this rub, the New Yorker has no choice but to toss him. <laughs> the puns you could just keep going really couldn't you i mean this is just poor jeffrey Tubin, man he's he, he's he really is going to be the the, the 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 butt of the internet joke for the rest of his career if he still has one poor guy i feel bad for him i do feel bad no one deserves this yeah maybe i don't know well really it would be i would feel better if it had been really giuliani if if those had been the other way around if really giuliani had done that and it would be such a Giuliani thing to do because we know he butt dials reporters like on the reg where he's like overheard saying things like, I need money <laughs> for lawyers. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you know, look, I think uh, ho- I'm hoping I'm going to watch the Borat thing tonight. We'll talk about it next week um, on the podcast and I'll give you my full detailed breakdown of uh, Rudy Giuliani's um, uh, little, um, what's the word, uh, mishap with, uh, with a, a girl he presumes to be underage. She's not actually underage, she's an actress, she's 24, but in the film she plays a 15-year-old. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, I, think I'll, uh, I think I'll call out sick for that episode. <laughs> okay, well, on, on, on that note, I think, I think we're, uh, we're good for today. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the newsletter, please do so. You can get access to uh, the podcast. We, it comes out every Sunday. Uh, if you're a fan of the show, um, uh, please leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get into, we'll get into chats on, on the comment thread below. That would be great. Um, uh, if you'd like to get a 30% discount on a Bantam membership, you can do that today too. Just click the red button on the newsletter and you get a 30% discount. You read all of our in-depth election coverage. And um, yeah, anything else, Mike, other than wearing a mask and uh, don't jerk off on uh, Zoom calls? Exactly. Pro tip, assume every camera is on and every mic is hot. Right. <laughs> all right, everyone. Take care.